This is the Lost Mission Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. My name is Don Van Zant, and this is the Lost Mission Podcast, where our goal is to help us as believers get back to our mission of knowing and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us today. Well, guys, this is 2022. We've made it. We're here. Uh, 2021 has closed out. It's behind us. Whether you loved 2021 and it was the greatest year of your life or you could not wait (laughs) for it to be over, it's done. And uh, I took the latter portion of the year off. I just felt like it was time to spend some time with family, kind of away from the show, uh, celebrate the birth of Christ, kind of ring in the new year. But also, guys, I'll be honest with you, I felt like I just needed a break. I uh, needed to decompress my own brain and uh, kind of give myself some time to to refresh and hopefully get started in this year. So that's where we are. We're at the start of 2022, and this is our first episode. And with the new year comes a new series. And I know you say, wait, I thought you were doing a series on cults. I was, and I still am. I think we'll come back and revisit that. But for now, we're going to put the, the cult series up on the shelf and hopefully in the future, come back, revisit, and talk about it some more later on, because there is a lot more to be said about cults. Uh, also, maybe go back and revisit some conversations surrounding Bible translation. It's such a, such a broad and interesting topic. I think that we need to talk about it a little bit more. But however, going forward into Galatians, uh, I have some things planned that, that hopefully will be a blessing to you, but we'll see. This series that we're going to begin today is a series on the book of Galatians and on legalism, sort of a uh, textual, topical type um, series that we're going to do. We're not going to really just go through a deep dive of Galatians, more of an overview, want to skim the surface of the book, but want to get down to the issues that I feel like Paul is really addressing. But we don't, we don't just have the series on, on Galatians. Um, I, I, I hope to maybe deal with some cultural issues I want to talk about some some things going on inside of the church. Uh, I keep hearing the word deconstruction coming up over and over and over again. And yes, that will be tied back into the conversation surrounding legalism. But we want to talk about uh, deconstruction a little bit. Maybe deal with some marriage issues and uh, deal with some, like I said, cultural topics like homosexuality or transgenderism. and, And how should we as Christians feel about these issues kind of get into to some of that. However, though, if you're one of the t- those types that when you look at um, content like this, and it feels kind of overwhelming, look, I get that. I mean, I really do. I totally understand that. So I hope to make some kind of toned down content for those of you that prefer more devotional videos and just try to be encouraging and more uplifting. And for those of you that don't want to climb off into the deep waters of theology, that don't care to get into the weeds of things, um, some more encouraging devotional type things, shorter content, shorter videos, but we're going to see how it goes. Uh, But for now, let's get into our series on Galatians and on legalism. Let's go, guys. Galatians. So Galatians has been referred to by some as the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Uh, I think of Luther, uh, Martin Luther, who absolutely loved the book of Galatians. Um, he, He actually had this to say about Galatians. He referred to it as my epistle, to which I have wedded myself. It is my Catherine von Ebora. 
today we're going to jump into this book. Um, what is it? Um, or on not just on this book, but on the topic of legalism as portrayed through the book. So what is it? What is legalism? How does Paul address it? Uh, how does it look in modern evangelicalism? Or more specifically, how does it look in the holiness church and in the holiness movement? Uh, Paul spends the entire letter of Galatians dealing with the topic of legalism. But let me throw this, this sort of disclaimer out there. Two things. One, legalism isn't just something that um, uh, has taken hold of and exists within the holiness movement. You know, I'm a part of the holiness church and have been for the majority of my life, and I, and I love the holiness church and the people. I think they're great godly people. Uh, but, but many times that sort of uh, label of legalist is slapped onto the holiness people, sometimes justly, sometimes unjustly. But it doesn't only exist inside of there. I've seen it in other movements as well. I've seen it in other non-fundamentalist groups. So we have the, the uh, holiness church that is sort of on the more fundamentalist side. Look, I see it inside the Baptist church. I see it inside the Assemblies of God. I see it inside of, um, basically, even I see it inside of non-evangelical, non-Christian people who have this legalistic approach to religion. So it's not just specific to to us, but, but the disclaimer is this. There are some issues. There really are. There are some serious issues that are affecting my group. They're affecting the holiness movement. And I love you people. If you're not a part of the movement... Some of what I say may sound maybe a little odd, but keep watching anyway. I hope it can be a blessing to you, whether you're a part of the movement or not. But if you are a part of the movement and find yourself offended by some of the things that, that are said in this video and by others and possibly in later videos, if you find yourself offended before you shut off the video and close your heart, all I ask is this. I ask that you consider what I'm saying. If I'm wrong, by all means, correct me. With Scripture. With Scripture. Please do. I don't want to be in error. And if I am in error, I hope that there are those of you that, out, that are out there inside of the movement that love me enough to pull me aside, shoot me a private message. If you know me in person, come talk to me, and let's get this right. If I'm wrong, correct me from Scripture. But if I'm right, if I'm right, please consider what I'm saying. Take these things to heart. Mull them over in, in, in your own private prayer. Talk to God about them and go back to Scripture and verify the claims that I make and see that they are true. Because at the end of this all, we want God to be true and every man a liar. All right, so let's see if we can grow together as we look at the book of Galatians. Who's the author of Galatians? Well, that's, that one is pretty simple. It's, it's, let's just start easy there. Paul. <laughs> this seems pretty plain. It seems pretty clear. Matter of fact, the very first word in the book of Galatians, Paul writes and says, Paul. <laughs> so the, the, the authorship seems pretty plain, but just in case you were wondering, um, it seems verified by literally everybody that I've looked at. Every study Bible that I have, I went through them, and here's what they had to say the ESV study Bible. There has been widespread agreement by scholars down through the ages that Paul is indeed the author. Uh, the MacArthur study Bible. 
There's no reason to question the internal claim that the Apostle Paul wrote Galatians. The Life Application Study Bible, author, Paul. The Ryrie Study Bible, author, Paul. <laughs> so we could go on and on through various study Bibles, but it seems to be be clear. Uh, Augustine, St. Augustine believed that Luther wrote, or that uh, Paul wrote the book. Martin Luther believed that Paul wrote the book. Um, everyone that I've heard of seems to be in agreement that Paul wrote Galatians. So if you see somebody that makes a claim that says, well, Paul didn't really write Galatians, you know what? Just ignore them. They don't know what they're talking about. Paul wrote it. <laughs> they're being ridiculous. Let's not be ridiculous. Uh, the date of writing, the date of writing is a little bit, has, has a little bit of significance as to when it may or may not have been written, and it was likely written somewhere around 48 AD. And the reason why this is significant is because it will correspond with some other events um, in Paul's life that, that, that would have transpired, but we, we may talk about those later on. But for now, let's consider the writing of the book, the, the date of the writing around 48 AD. The audience, who is Paul writing to? That's always so important when you read scripture. Not only who is writing, not only what they're saying, but who are they saying it to? Who's Paul writing to? He's writing to the churches in the southern region of the Roman-controlled um, Asia Minor. These churches were established by Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey in the book of Acts. You can read about that in Acts chapters 13 and 14. Uh, Paul and Barnabas come through uh, the southern region of Galatia. You had two regions that both were considered Galatia. This is the southern portion of that. Go read Acts 13 and 14, and you'll read of Paul and Barnabas establishing the churches in Galatia. He's writing Galatians in response to false teachings and false brethren that had crept in and deceived the Gentile believers by, by convincing them that they must become law keepers, almost in a sense to become like ethnic Jews, although the Gentile or the Galatians were Gentiles. So these Gentile believers were being persuaded by false brethren that they must act like the Jews. What are the major themes of the book? Well, the major themes of Galatians are the law, freedom, legalism, false teaching, faith, the flesh, and, of course, the spirit. Let's get into Galatians chapter 1 today. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul writes, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. And God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's pretty fairly, uh, or a pretty standard introduction for Paul. He tells them who he is. Um, he addresses them, gives his sort of trademark greeting that, that I, I love Paul's greeting. And, and I, I kind of wish that we as Christians would, would use more of these, these greetings. Paul always writes to the churches, or for the most part, writes to the churches and tells them grace and peace. Does the same thing here in Galatians. I love Paul's standard greeting. But notice the manner in which he greets them. He lets them know up front, at the very beginning, that he is an apostle. Um, sort of a bit of foreshadowing for what he's about to say, he appeals to his authority by letting the Galatians know that he's an apostle. And this is of particular interest 
Because if Paul is not an apostle, the rest of the book of Galatians is kind of meaningless. He needs to have some sort of backing, some sort of authority behind him for the claims that he is getting ready to make. So he appeals to his own um, apostolic authority. But what's Paul doing when he does this? All right, let me just say this. Paul's not, he's not flexing here. <laughs> he's not, he's not just, just beating his chest and saying, look, I'm the apostle, do as I say. No, he's not the manager telling his employees, you do this because I'm the boss, right? I mean, I think that we've all had some sort of a boss at some point that's done that. Um, he's not the overbearing father telling his kids because I'm the dad, and I said so. <laughs> I mean, look, I've got kids, and I, I've told my kids that. But, Daddy, why? Well, because I'm your dad. Well, that's not what Paul's doing. He, he is an apostle. It comes from the Greek word apostolos, meaning one that is sent out. He's letting them know he has been sent out. But Paul was not sent out, and he was not commissioned by men. Notice he says, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. So his commission comes from Christ. His apostolic authority doesn't come from man or from a church. It comes from Christ. Paul was not sent out or commissioned by men uh, in the same way that men are sent out in modern times and today. Now, now that's, that's not to get into the, the debate or the conversations surrounding apostles in, in sort of the modern sense. Are there modern apostles? That's not, I'm not trying to get into that conversation today. I feel like we could talk about that at another time. But what Paul is saying is that his commission didn't come from men. All men, in a certain sense, are commissioned by men today. If a missionary goes um, to a foreign field, many times he will be sent out by possibly a missionary team or a missions board, or he will have the support and the backing, the commission of a base church at home. When a pastor comes in to a church to take that lead pastoral role, he's many times voted in by some sort of committee or board of directors or elders or deacons or the, the, the larger body of the congregation will, will commission this man to come and, and be our leader. Uh, the subsets of pastors, you know, worship pastors, youth pastors, those types, they're commissioned in some way by man. Paul is letting them know, I'm not that guy. You're not that guy. I didn't come here because I was commissioned to come here by somebody else. His commission wasn't from men. It was from Jesus. And since he was commissioned by Jesus, his words could be considered as orthodox. Or in other words, his words were to be the standard by which truth was judged. His words were the gospel. Right? So since Paul had been commissioned by uh, Christ, his words had the backing of Jesus, and they were the gospel. He wasn't commissioned by man. He was commissioned by Christ, so his words carried weight. And this is, again, it's echoed later on in, in the chapter in, in verses 7 through 9. This is, this is what Paul has to say. But if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. He's letting them know that his authority comes from Christ. And because of that, his message is the truth. And anybody that says different, they are to be accursed. He actually even goes so far to say, look, if I say anything different than what I had said before, let me be accursed. 
though we or an angel from heaven preach anything else. What Paul's telling them is this. The gospel is not accountable to men, but rather he's telling them that men are accountable to the gospel. But what does it mean to say that the gospel is not accountable to men and that men are accountable to the gospel? Here's, here's the issue, and this is one I'm going to speak about that, that really has made its way into the holiness churches for a very long time. I feel like that's one that has not been addressed. It's not one that's been really dealt with in, very, in, any, in any real way. We say it in a cursory way that we believe God above man and that we ought to obey God rather than man, and we, and we say all these things, but when it comes down to it, when the rubber meets the road, we allow men to have the final say. So here's what I'm saying. You hear things like this. Well, that's what brother so-and-so believed, so I believe it too. So when you open scripture and you say, here's, here's an issue, let me talk to you about this issue. Oh, well, my pastor said this. That, that is making the gospel accountable to man. You're taking scripture, and they're taking the word of man above what scripture has to say. Or you hear this, well, that's just the old-time way, and to question the, quote, old-time way is to somehow, in their mind, question God. No, really, what we ought to do is question the old-time way, and we ought to question what brother so-and-so has to say. Or you hear things like this, well, if it was good enough for mom and dad, or if it was good enough for uncle so-and-so, or whoever it may be, if it was good enough for them, then it must be good enough for me. And we use the, the, the opinions and the views of man as the standard rather than the gospel. But the gospel is not accountable to men. The gospel doesn't have to answer to anybody's tradition. Those men have to answer to the gospel. So when somebody comes back and says, I don't know if what we hear is the truth, well, brother so-and-so said it, it doesn't matter what brother so-and-so had to say. What matters is the gospel and the truth of God. And that's what Paul's saying. There are these false teachers. There are himself and his group. And he even says if an angel from heaven disagrees, let them be accursed. So here's the thing. Not one of these people, none, no elder, no man, has the right to say anything anything, outside of the purview of the gospel. No matter what era of time, no matter what era of history, no matter who it was, whether it is me or your grandpa or your uncle or the person that founded your church or somebody back a hundred years ago, or anybody other than Christ. So whether it was 50 years ago or 2,000 years ago, again, the gospel is always the standard. Anything outside the realm of orthodoxy, as stated by Paul, the other writers of, of the New Testament and of the Bible, anything outside of that um, is to be rejected and is to be considered a curse. That's what Paul is writing back to. If they don't agree with this, they're to be considered a curse. But notice Paul says in verse 7, not that there is another one, speaking of the gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you, want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So who are these that were troubling the Galatian believers? Who are those who trouble you? Well, obviously they were false teachers, but, and we can say that, yeah, we shouldn't listen to false teachers, but who were they? They were Judaizers in some sense. So they, they had an allegiance to the old Jewish way of living, the old Jewish law. 
the Old Testament, the Torah, um, those, those attempting to teach Gentile Christians to become Jews or to become law keepers. You understand that, that Christ is the fulfillment of the law. There's a whole conversation that we could have considering Christ as the fulfillment of the law, the law being a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, and then Christ completes the law. And th- this isn't the last time that Paul's going to mention those that trouble them. <laughs> About chapter 5, he's really going to mention these guys. And whew, Just go read chapter 5. You'll see what Paul has to say about these guys. They were likely uh, Jewish Christians living in Galatia that were under some form, and, it, and it's really hard to say, but under some uh, form or some pressure from non-Jesus-believing Jews to teach the law the ones that had rejected Christ as Messiah, these Jews were influencing these Jesus-believing Jews that they needed to go back and to teach the law. And see how they, they completely bypassed Christ in so doing? So they, they were likely Jewish Christians in Galatia that were under pressure, but also there was a social element to this as well. The social element to those troubling them, these Galatian Christians were former Gentile pagans. So they've left paganism, and now they have converted to Christianity. They were coming out of their pagan communities and entering into these sort of Judeo-Christian communities, and when they did that, they brought some of their old social um, customs with them. That's not to say they brought their pagan religion. Not that at all. But they they were so accustomed to uh, this area where where Christianity obviously didn't exist because it was just now spreading, but where Judaism had a much lesser influence, and now they come into these new Judeo-Christian communities, and there's this social conflict. They have their their pagan uh, ways and, and, and culture about them. Like I say, not the religious element, but just the cultural elements. They're bringing them into the uh, greater Christian community, and there's this social conflict there because these these Jewish-influenced Christians are now being influenced by these pagans, and they, they don't really know what to do. So the teachers begin to teach, and they're causing these people to come back and, and believe the law and to become circumcised and all of these things, and, and, and it's just sort of chaotic, and Paul's addressing that. And what he's doing, he's saying, no, the goal of the gospel is not to create new Jews. Not at all. The goal of the gospel is to create new men. And it would upset this already sort of fragile social structure that existed. And with this conflict between uh, the ethnic Jews and the non-Jewish pagans, it, now Paul is here saying, look, look, you guys are getting it all wrong. So these were the false teachers. But he also says we. That's those in the church. Paul's traveling companions, the apostles. And he also says, an angel from heaven. So if there were some claim of supernatural authority or, or the existence of some angelic power. And this is, there, here, here's the application. I've rarely, if ever, met a person that said, an angel told me this. And it's outside of, of Scripture. But I have heard, just recently, I've heard claims that we don't need doctrine. What we need is a move of God. It's a claim, an appeal to the supernatural above the Word of God. And that's what Paul's saying. If something supernatural occurs and it is outside of the Word of God, then completely reject that. Be wary of anyone that will not interact with Scripture 
but rather says you only need the Holy Spirit or a, quote, move of God. That's essentially what Paul is debunking here in this passage. In his, the beginning of his apologetic against legalism, he, his apologetic is against this, this perspective that you don't need doctrine, you only need the Spirit. So the idea that, that hey, we need the Holy Ghost, we need the Holy Spirit, and, and that's all that we need. All of this, this conversation surrounding doctrine and all this conversation uh, surrounding theology and all of that is fruitless and worthless, and we don't need that. We only need a move of the Spirit. That is exactly what Paul's saying when he says, though we or an angel from heaven... Preach to you any other gospel, let him be accursed. Now look, I've been around this for many years, and I know that that element exists inside of the holiness church and inside of the holiness movement. I am not anti-spirit. I am not anti-worship. I think that we should strive to live spirit-filled, spirit-endowed lives, that we need the power of God working in us. That's as a matter of fact that I think that's the only way that we can properly understand and interpret Scripture is when the Spirit is at work in us and through us. We need His guidance every day. We need it all the time. So it's not to say we are anti-Spirit because we are pro-study. No, we are both. We are pro-Word, pro-Spirit. We need both of these to work together in harmony. But we don't need to say we need to completely cast off this. Well, we just need revival. We don't just need revival. We need to come back to the Word of God. That would be true revival. All right? Let's go back to verse 6. Verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The beginning of verse 7. Not that there is another one. So there is no other gospel. And Paul is astonished that the Galatians have left the gospel for the law and for legalism. In in, in other translations, this, this phrase, I am astonished, is rendered things like I am amazed or I marvel. Uh, Paul's not just saying um, that they had been taught something different and that it didn't really matter. He's saying this is more than just some abstract teaching or abstract concept. No, he's aware of the great importance of proper doctrine. Proper doctrine produces proper Christians, and Paul is absolutely astonished at this, that they have left. Uh, But what have they done? Well, he mentions grace. By adopting this new idea of legalism, what they had done was they had forsaken grace. So here's the thing. It's impossible for legalism and grace to occupy the same space at the same time. And and granted, he refers many times to the law. I feel like in a modern context that it wouldn't necessarily be the law, but but be the idea of legalism. And so what I'm saying is that, that when we take just random abstract passages from the Old Testament and try to superimpose those onto modern Christianity, for one, they're usually taken out of context, but, but for two, it completely eliminates Christ. We, we bypass Jesus and we leave the grace of God. That is exactly what Paul is dealing with. By adopting this legalism, they've forsaken grace. But what about Christ? Not just grace, but they had actually forsaken Christ. He says that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. 
Now, look, you can interpret that when he says that, that you are um, deserting him to say, well, no, they were deserting Paul. But in deserting Paul, they were deserting Christ. They had not only left Paul, they had left Christ. Uh, N.T. Wright has this to say about uh, the sixth verse of the first chapter of Galatians. This alternative gospel, it seems, is not only a slightly different theory about how people get saved. You are turning away, he says, from the one who called you by grace. In other words, from God himself, the one true God, and from the radical grace he has put into action in the gospel events. If the one true and living God has acted in Jesus the Messiah to defeat the powers and launch his new creation, then any step away from that new creation, with all it means, is a turning away from the true God. So Paul is telling them that when you have adopted legalism, when you have adopted law-keeping, that you have forsaken grace, And I know, I just know that there are those that are out there that are watching this video that are going to say that, well, shouldn't we believe the entire Bible? Yes. Well, shouldn't we listen to the whole counsel of God? 100%. Yes, we should. But we need to understand that the, the Old Testament exists as a sort of foreshadowing to Christ. I'm not saying that the Old Testament is not important. What I am saying is this, is that when we go back and grab elements of the law and try to push them onto our people, that we are forsaking Christ. We're saying that what Jesus did wasn't good enough. Now you need this rule. Now you need this random passage out of Deuteronomy, or you need this thing that that talks about marking your body, or how that men and women ought to dress. And what we're doing is we're saying that Jesus didn't do it good enough. We still need to go back and keep the law. And there's, there's no way to keep the law without forsaking Christ. But what Paul says, he, he's, he marvels at how quickly they've done it. So shortly after Paul had planted uh, the churches in Galatia, um, and he makes his return trip, possibly before he's even made his, his return trip to Galatia, the, they, these teachers had already risen up. And we're beginning to teach. And that's why Paul says that, that uh, he is astonished at how quickly they are deserting him who, who has called them. But why do people fall to error so quickly? They do. So quickly people change and they go for things. Um, we see this in modern times <laughs> regularly, all the time. Uh, conspiracy theories, outlandish ideas prevail, and people are quick to believe them. Um, whatever their, their favorite media outlet says, many people just follow it. Or their favorite um, social media personality says, or, or YouTuber, or podcaster, or whoever it may be. Um, as long as we're following what their narrative is, then that's fine. And we so quickly fall into these traps. Why? They're easy to believe. It's appealing because the truth is many times much sort of less flashy, it doesn't look as cool, and it's much more difficult. I mean, think of the the situation we're dealing with right now in the world with COVID, where information and misinformation abounds. But as long as you grab that quick TikTok video or one 20-second 
a soundbite from Fox News or CNN or whoever that fits what you already think and you go with the narrative about uh, Omicron or vaccinations or boosters or whatever it may be. And as long as those things fit the narrative that you hope that they fit, well, we have a tendency to believe them. The same thing happens with the Bible. The same thing happens with theology. As long as it fits what I want it to fit, then we just run with that. And it's easy. That is easy believism. Well, the truth is much more complicated many times. And in the gospel, the truth can be complex. Paul's message of the gospel was difficult. It, it, it could have caused these pagan Gentile, former pagan Gentile believers, their lives. So it was much easier for these Gentiles to be absorbed into these ethnic Jewish communities. And these false teachers were teaching them this, this thing that says, believe this way, act this way, and be like us, and then you'll have safety. But it wasn't that they must go against the tide and, and, and against the grain. Legalism is easy because it puts us back in the driver's seat. It really is. A list of rules. How do I know if I'm saved? Well, if my hair is a certain length, if my dress is a certain length, if my sleeves are a certain length, if I, if I do or don't have the certain media, if I do or don't have a television, if I do or don't wear certain types of jewelry, we make it into a checklist. And as long as we check those boxes, we're good. And I know, again, I get it. Many of you are going to say, no, 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 I don't, I don't believe that. But in the practicals, when somebody doesn't do those things... When somebody looks differently, acts differently, thinks differently, talks differently, doesn't fit the narrative, well, what happens? We look at them as the outsider, when really those people may very well be the ones that are pursuing truth. So the gospel is difficult because it requires this sense of self-abandonment. I'm not going to do what is easy or what the group says. I want the truth of God. So Paul is astonished at how quickly these Gentile Christians have left Christ for legalism. Um, in modern times, this may or may not look like law-keeping or, or circumcision. And it can, but, it, but not always. Now, many Old Testament passages are forced on people out of context, but not only out of context, out of covenant. Remember that we as believers are in a new covenant with Christ, a new testament of his blood. Is what he told us, right? Didn't Jesus tell us that that he was that the, the, the cup was a new testament of his blood? So we're under a new covenant. And the law isn't a part of this, this new covenant, at least not in the way that it was to ethnic Jews, in the civil manner that it had been. But legalism looks like follow these rules and you'll be saved. Or follow these rules and you'll stay saved. Because many that I know, when it comes down to it, what they'll say is that, oh yeah, I need Jesus to be saved. But then I have to do all of these works to stay saved. No, you need Jesus to be saved. You need Jesus to stay saved. But as we'll see as this series progresses, Paul's teaching against a works-based religion isn't just against a religion. It is in favor of a spirit-filled life. The gospel and the Spirit go hand in hand. But that's for later on in the discussion, guys. For now, that's going to do it for this one. 
Thanks for watching. Appreciate you guys. Grace and peace. I'll catch you next time. Thank you.